right, we've got a lot of ground to cover today. We're going to be in two different large passages of Scripture. I'm going to try to get through it as quickly as possible. So I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2, we're going to begin there, but we're also going to be a large chunk in 1 Kings chapter 22. So if you want to kind of um, hold your place in both places there, if you have the Version Bible app, uh, I'll be in the CSB. Um, it will be in your outline as well as on the screen. You will notice today in the outline that there is a link to get the going deeper uh, questions. We provide those every week, so you can do an individual Bible study or with your small group, or if you do a group maybe at uh, work or something like that, you can go through those. You'll need to download those today because there is so much scripture. So I don't want to scare you, uh, we're, but we're going to plow through and we're going to knock this out. So um, once again, we'll be Second Peter chapter 2, also 1 Kings 22. And while you turn there, I do want to emphasize, once again, the summer community blitz. We're, we're not out, um, you know, selling people. We're just, we're just meeting people, inviting them to church. Um, we did meet several people this week that are brand new to the area looking for a church home. And so we want to let them know that where, where we're at and how they can find us, our service times, and that's it. Now, I understand I'm a very people person, like I don't ever meet a stranger, but my wife is very timid. So I want to recognize that some of you are like, I can't do that. Um, just your smile, just your being there and, and standing by someone who can talk like me um, and isn't afraid of people uh, means a lot because you represent our church and you represent um, maybe that there are young ladies here or maybe that there are um, you know, senior adults here or there are teenagers here. We want teenagers to attend, so on and so forth. So you represent our church and it would be great for you to be there even if you don't say a word. Well, over the last several weeks, I've discussed uh, corrupt and false teachers uh, a good amount. Um, even through the series, we've referenced them and we've talked about them. And the reason why is because they are a large reason, especially for this part of the letter, this, the, the second Peter part of this series. Um, there's a lot happening there. And so these corrupt false teachers are a major reason that Peter wrote this letter. In fact, in Jude, there's only one chapter in Jude, um, verses three to four. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it. This is what Jude said. He said, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago, he's talking about those corrupt false teachers, have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ as our only master and Lord. So what he was saying here was corrupt and false teachers had crept into the church undetected. Um, they were unaware that they had made their way into the church, most likely in teaching positions and influential positions. And, and the reality is, it's not very um, easy to quickly identify false teachers or even corrupt teachers. Um, the wrong person can say the right thing for a season and uh, trick and deceive and fool the right people for a little bit. And this is why Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 5.22 to not be in a hurry about appointing church leaders, namely pastors, namely elders, those who would be teaching people, those who would be influencing people. He says, um, 
um, in the King James Version, lay hands on no man suddenly, or, you know, don't be hasty, don't be in a hurry about appointing these leaders in the church. Why? Because the wrong people can say the right things for a short amount of time for a season and fool the right people. And so for the most part, um, this has been my guiding principle starting a church is, hey, we want to be careful. We want to be slow about appointing leaders, appoint, about po- appointing those who would be in a leadership position, a pastoral position. But we've gotten it wrong sometimes. I've gotten it wrong sometimes. And we've appointed the wrong people or we, we've put the wrong people in positions, especially when you're young and you're an early church plant. It's like, hey, can you breathe? Do you have a pulse? Because we have a lot of holes to fill. And you can make this mistake many times over. And those mistakes can be costly. They can be painful. And they have been even for our church. And so you go back to scripture and go, that's why Paul said to um, not be in a hurry about appointing these positions. So now in 2 Peter chapter 2, the first part of verse 1 says this. Peter continues his letter. He says, there were indeed false prophets among the people, talking about ancient Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. You can write this down. Churches will be infiltrated by bad actors seeking influence. Churches will be infiltrated by bad actors seeking influence. See, what a false teacher does is they typically start with something mainstream that you and I, all of us would probably agree on. And they'll start there with their teaching. They'll start there with their influence. And what they will do is they will um, earn people's trust. Oh, I like this teacher and and I agree with them. And, And that's the wrong person saying the right thing for a season fooling and deceiving people to think, oh, they're they're mainstream. I mean, they're orthodox. They're, you know, sound biblically. But then what they start to do is they start to weave in their false teaching and their false ideology um, once they've earned that trust. Um, A a pastor, teacher, author um, by the name of Rob Bell did this very effectively many years ago with his videos uh, called NUMA. And some of you may have seen them, and some of those videos are great. And some of those videos, all of us would probably agree with a lot of what he was saying. But the further he got along, and the more he started writing books, once he had hooked people with sound, or, or at least, you know, agreeable doctrine, he then started weaving in his ideas everywhere from hell and human sexuality, um, even to the person of Christ and to the Father. And so once he sucked people in and earned their trust, then you can do a lot when people trust you. And so this, it's not just him, but that was one of the most recent things that I dealt with because we had those videos, not at New Passion, but when I was a student pastor, we used them. But all of a sudden, down the road, um, just in a little bit of time, um, he began to reveal himself and really what he believed. So Peter guarantees here that there will be false teachers, there will be corrupt leaders in the church. He says, just as there were false prophets in ancient biblical times, ancient Israel, there will also be false teachers who will make their way into the church. And so Peter uses this comparison because there were many similarities. And that's why I want us to go to 1 Kings. And so we're kind of going to go back before, back and forth between 1 Kings 22 and 1 Peter. He's not referencing 1 
Kings 22, but there's an illustration here that I want you to see today these false prophets and how um, even God allowed them to mislead, um, even for a purpose, but also sometimes for judgment. And what that looked like, even in ancient Israel, and the similarities for us today. So 1 Kings 22, verse 1, two, 1 through 6 says this, There was a lull of three years without war between Aram and Israel. However, in the third year, King Jehoshaphat of Judah went to visit the king of Israel. The king of Israel had said to his servants, Don't you know that Ramoth Gilead is ours, but we're doing nothing to take it from the king of Aram? So he asked Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, First, please ask what the Lord's will is. So the king of Israel gathered the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, Should I go against Ramoth Gilead for war, or should I refrain? They replied, March up, and the Lord will hand it over to the king. So King Jehoshaphat here has visited the king of Israel, which um, his name uh, at this at this point, it was Ahab. Um, and, and so they're having this discussion, and King Ahab tells Jehoshaphat that you know that we um, possess, or this land, um, remote Gilead, belongs to us, but we're not doing anything about it. And so it's obvious that Ahab wants this land. It's obvious that it's maybe something that's been promised to them. It's something that belongs to them. And so instead of sitting idly by, the king of Israel wants to go possess this land. So he asked King Jehoshaphat, he says, will you join with me? Will you partner with me in taking this land? And Jehoshaphat says, my people are as your people. I'm as you are. My horses are yours. Basically, everything I own and everything I possess are at your disposal. So whatever you need, I'm right there. You've got my support. You've got my military. You've got what you need. But first, I want us to seek to make sure this is God's will. Sure, it might be our land, but it might not be God's timing for us to possess that land. Sure, it belongs to us, and we've, we're not doing really anything to take it, but it might not be His time. We don't want to presume on God and kind of jump ahead of Him. So let's seek God, and let's seek out wisdom whether or not this is His will or not. And that's very wise, to seek wise counsel, to seek um, spiritual leadership. And so Ahab summoned his prophets to advise. And the Scripture tells us there were about 400 of them. These weren't God's prophets. These were His prophets. And so their replies sounded spiritual. I mean, it sounded like people of faith, but really they just told King Ahab what he wanted to hear. And so Jehoshaphat knew that their confirmation wasn't from God. In fact, probably what they were doing was just telling the king of Israel what he wanted to hear. Why? Because they wanted to win favor from him. They, they wanted his favor. They wanted his honor. Because in these days, I mean, this is a king. If you don't tell the king what he wants to hear, or if you kind of rebel against the king, you, you can be put to death. 
We see that in other places in the Old Testament where prophets would be killed by kings because uh, of what they did. We see Nebuchadnezzar killing um, his soothsayers and his uh, fortune tellers and all these people because they were wrong when he threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire and then they came out successful. Um, he, he did away with the others and he declared that their God was the true and living God. And so this could go very bad for them if they know that the king wants a certain answer, the king wants to do a certain thing, and so therefore they're just going to tell him what he wants to hear. And so Jehoshaphat knew that this confirmation wasn't from God. And I want you to write this down. Knowing the truth makes it easy, easier to identify error. Knowing the truth makes it easier to identify error. Verse 43 tells us that Jehoshaphat did what was right in the Lord's sight. Now, we don't see this about the king of Israel. Now, um, the people of Israel were God's people, but that doesn't mean that they were always led by a righteous king. It doesn't mean that, they, that that king always followed after God. But we see that the scripture tells us that Jehoshaphat did what was right in the sight of God. He sought after God. He obeyed God. I mean, he followed after the commands and the laws of God. And so Jehoshaphat sought God, and by doing so, it helped him to detect in this moment that this confirmation being given by these prophets was not of God. Now, there was no other indication here, but there was, um, as if you and I have the Holy Spirit living within us, that discernment, because he sought after God and he walked after God, he had a discernment that something was wrong with this. And so the same is true of us. But the more truth that you and I seek, the better we're going to be able to identify and have that discernment about error, about false teaching, about corrupt leaders, about those who want to mislead us and lead us astray. Second Kings 22, 7 through 9 goes on. But Jehoshaphat asked, isn't there a prophet of the Lord here anymore? Let's ask him. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man who can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies good about me. He, he, he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. The king shouldn't say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called an officer and said, hurry and get Micaiah, son of Imla. Jehoshaphat asked Ahab if he had a true prophet of God so they could seek God's will about going into war and risking people's life. This, according to Scripture, even according to Proverbs, is wisdom. The, the Bible tells us there is safety in a multitude of counselors. So, so I'm not just going to go by your prophets who are telling you what you want to hear. I want a prophet of God. I want someone who listens to God, someone who's seeking God, someone who is appointed by God. And that's a, a lesson for every one of us as well, that when you're making major decisions in your life, when you're seeking out certain things, when you're seeking to get married, when you're seeking uh, maybe college, when you're seeking to seek godly counsel, not just friends and not just the people of the world and not just your teachers, because some of them are going to come from the influence of the world. So some of them are not followers of Christ. 
And so the Bible says there is safety in a multitude of counselors. I believe a lot of people would save themselves a lot of headaches if they would just ask for godly counsel, but not just ask for it, but actually follow it. And I've told you this many times. There have been times where um, people will come to me multiple times seeking counsel and seeking help. And at some point you want to go, you know what? I would help you this time. But I'm not going to because the last three and four times you didn't take my counsel. And the reason you are where you are now is because you didn't take the counsel. So why would I waste my time and why would I waste my energy in giving you more counsel you're not going to follow? And so it is wise, according to scripture, to seek godly counsel. And I'm not talking about just for me. I'm the pastor, and I, but I'm also, you know, relatively young compared to other people. So my life experience is limited to other people. And so there are pastors who will say, you need to come talk to me before you do this and before you do that and before you do that. I'm not a pope. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a king. I, I'm not a know-it-all. I'm not, uh, I, I shouldn't have a say in everything in your life. But you should seek godly counsel. This church has elders for a reason. This church has pastors for a reason. This church has community group facilitators for a reason. You should seek godly counsel regardless whether it's the pastor or a small group leader or whatever that is. But when you go to that person, you should make sure that they're following after Christ, they're pursuing Christ, that they are living out the very things that you're asking of them in their own life. And so this is wisdom. Uh, uh, they seek out Micaiah, Jehoshaphat, ask if there is a prophet of God, a true prophet of God, not just these prophets of men. And so Ahab confirmed that he had a prophet, but he says that he hated him. Why? Because he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster. That in and of itself, that alone right there perfectly illustrates the similarities between the false prophets of ancient Israel and the false teachers of not only the first century church, but the 21st century church. And it is essentially that they don't tell me what I want to hear. They don't tell me what is profitable to me. They might convict me. They might speak of coming judgment. And I don't want to hear those things. I don't like those things. I went to the school with a girl in high school who said the reason she didn't go to church is because it always made her cry. So what she was saying is, I want to avoid conviction. I don't want to sit in a seat and hear the things in my life or have the Holy Spirit convict me of how I'm not pursuing Christ, how I'm not living according to God's word when I'm being taught it in Christian school, but I'm leaving Christian school and living life my own way. I don't want to hear about that. So I'm just going to avoid all places where I have to hear and be confronted with the truth. You can write this down. People willingly follow false teachers because they tell them what they want to hear rather than the truth they need to hear. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You'll willingly follow false teachers, and I'm not saying you in general, but people in general, willingly will follow false teachers because they tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And that's why Ahab hated Micaiah for telling him the truth, because the truth wasn't favorable. The truth isn't always going to be favorable. The truth is the truth. The truth is going to be painful sometimes. The truth is going to be good sometimes. But the truth is the truth. And so it's not always going to be what we want to hear. But it warned Ahab 
of the disaster that would come upon him if he didn't abandon these false prophets and pursue God. It was for his good. See, even when the truth hurts, and even when it's painful, and even when it's something that we want to avoid, God always provides truth through his word to benefit us and not to hurt us. But sometimes we have to go through pain in order to get through the benefit. And we don't want to go through the pain of maybe having to confess some sin, of having to repent of some sin, of having to own up to some things, or having to make some corrections in our life. We would rather avoid the pain and live in this fake utopia that everything's okay and that I'm living life in the best way possible and I'm only going to listen to the people who tell me what I want to hear and tell me I'm okay and build me up and inspire me rather than the truth. And that's the reality for millions of people today. They turn to and are attracted to the false teachers because they inspire them rather than the convicting truth of genuine teachers. I found this very interesting when I um, looked up the definition of inspiration. Inspiration is an idea. It's to stimulate. So I can tell you anything that you want to hear, and I can stimulate you, and I can inspire you and I can motivate you. All I got to do is watch your social media profile. All I've got to do is um, know you personally and know what you're dealing with and what you're going through. Uh, This is how leaders, spiritual leaders, corrupt teachers can manipulate people because they get close with them. They watch them, they listen, and they know what you're dealing with. They know the decisions you've got to make. And then I can get up here and I can say all the right things to inspire you and to motivate you. And when you walk out of here, man, you're going to feel good because I told you, I spoke right to your life and what you're dealing with. I didn't have to talk about sin. I didn't have to talk about conviction issues. I didn't have to talk about any of those things because, man, it's all about your relationship or it's all about your financial status or whatever. And I'm going to tell you how God's going to bless that in your life. And you can walk away inspired and highly motivated. It just takes an idea. It just takes something to stimulate you. Do you know what the anonym of inspiration is? I encourage you, don't take my word for it. Go Google it, search it out. The antonym of inspiration is truth. You don't have to have truth to inspire. And truth won't always inspire. The opposite of inspiration is truth. One just needs an attractive idea to stimulate them with They don't need the truth because sometimes the truth is going to be painful. Sometimes the truth is going to convict. Sometimes the truth is going to be what we don't want to hear. And that's what was happening with Ahab. He didn't want to hear this. And why did he hate Micaiah? Because he gave him the truth and he didn't just inspire him. The 400 prophets inspired him and motivated him because he wanted that land. And he wanted to possess that land. But Micaiah spoke to him the truth of what God was speaking through him. And so that is why he hated him and he rejected him. See, God's word is perfect and true. We get this in Timothy. At times it tells us what's right in our life. So at times we can look at God's word and we can feel confident that we're pursuing and walking after Jesus and we're doing it faithfully. And thanks to the Holy Spirit and the help that he gives us, we are, we are in, on the right track and we're doing the right thing. And that's okay. Like, like you don't ever need feel, to feel guilty to look at God's word and be inspired. 
to be encouraged, to be uplifted. And we were called to build one another up, to build up the household of faith. That's good because that's what God's word does. He tells us that is what his word does. It can be like a healing balm to us. It can be its nourishment to us. It should be a delightful thing. But there are going to be many times that it is painful, that it points out what is wrong in our life and it rebukes us and it corrects us. But that is good for us as well. I told you that I've been running a lot and watching my diet and stuff like that. You know what else will rebuke you? The scale. You stand on it and it says, here's where you're at. You took your eyes off the goal. Because in 2007, I lost, I went from 198 to 137. And then I gained a lot of that back. And I stood on the scale and that's where I was at. It corrected me and it rebuked me to go, wow, okay, I got to make a change. The Bible says that God's word is like a mirror. See, see, we take the Bible and we use it as a window. I'm going to find these verses and I'm going to judge and I'm going to condemn and I'm going to look at the sin of everybody else. I'm going to look at um, where they got it wrong so I don't have to look at myself. Because if I'm looking through a window, I don't have to worry about the man standing there looking at everyone else. I just have to worry about you. But the Bible is, the truth is supposed to be a mirror where you look at yourself, where, where you look at what's wrong in your own life, where it convicts what's wrong in your own life so that you can correct yourself so that you can work on yourself first and foremost. And so God's word does rebuke us. It corrects us. It is that scale that we stand on that gives us the, the wake-up call that we need. Its goal is to conform us to God's will and his likeness. That's the whole reason he gives it to us, because he wants us to live lives that glorify him, not to conform ourselves to the world, but to conform ourselves to the ways of God. To, 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 to have our minds renewed so that we can follow after him. So back to 2 Peter, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2 says this, Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. Peter compares the false prophets with the false teachers because they behave the exact same way. Just as Ahab was willing to follow the 400 false prophets because he was telling, they were telling him what he wanted to hear, in the same way we are, uh, can be tempted and many people have been deceived into following false teachers who tell them what they want to hear. Some of the people in this day had embraced them because their sinful flesh benefited. It was enticed by their teaching. Peter says the false teachers' lifestyles were depraved. As Jude said, they twisted, they turned the grace of God into sensuality. Basically saying you can live sexual promiscuous life. You don't have to follow the natural order in sexual behavior. You, you don't have to do any of that. You don't have to have any restraint on your behavior um, sexually and sensually. Like, you can just do what you want. Why? Because, oh, God's forgiven you. Because of God's grace. And what they say, it, it's an abuse of God's grace. And what he said is that their lifestyle was depraved, but also these false teachers' teaching was tarnishing the truth. They had tarnished the truth, that it wasn't the truth anymore, but it was, it was poisoned. It had been tarnished. 
And then he says that the false teacher's motivation was greed. Greed. Because if I can convince you that I'm right, if I can convince you and inspire you, man, you're going to read more of my books. And when you read more of my books, you're going to buy that book. And when you buy that book, I'm going to profit from that. And when you come into my teachings and you give to that, I'm going to profit from that. And so he says the whole motivation of all of this, telling people what they want to hear, is greed. I'm going to tell you what you want to hear so that I can profit and I can benefit from it. Peter said the false teachers will one day face destruction and judgment. And this letter, if anything, would be a warning, not only for the people in the first century church, but for us today to avoid such things, to know the truth so that we can identify error so that we too do not enter into that judgment. Now, if we follow Christ, even though we might allow ourselves to be deceived, we might not face eternal destruction, but we will face physical and present day chastisement, correction, discipline for not following after the things of God. Back to 1 Kings 22, verse 11 through 13. Then Zedekiah, son of Chaniah, uh, made iron horns and said, this is what the Lord says. You will gore the Arameans with these until they are finished off. And all the prophets were prophesying the same. March up to Ramoth Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will hand it over to the king. The messenger who went to call Micaiah instructed him, look, the words of the prophets are, are unanimously favorable for the king. So let your words be like theirs and speak favorably. I want to point out something here before I continue on in my message that really just stood out to me. Number one, just because the majority of, some, of, of a group um, is saying something is true and right doesn't make it true and right, number one. Number two, you see that these prophets were um, speaking on behalf of the Lord, and yet they were not following the Lord. They were false prophets, and yet they were deceiving Ahab to believe that the Lord was speaking through them. That's another thing that false teachers do. They'll say, thus saith the Lord, and yet it doesn't align with the truth of God's word, and it doesn't align with um, who he is and what he calls us to. There are a lot of professing pastors and bishops and apostles and many people in our culture and our society who will tell you that God said this or God says that, and it doesn't align with his word. And it promotes culturalism and it promotes the world uh, system, but it does not promote God's word. And so just because a majority of people say something is right and true and good does not mean it is right, true, and good. And so as the false prophets continue to tell King Ahab what he wanted to hear, he then tries to manipulate and control Micaiah by essentially saying, tell me what I want to hear. He says to Micaiah, so let your words be like theirs and speak favorably. Have you faced that pressure as a Christian? If not, you will. If not, you will. Hey, you just, just say the right thing. Here, here's, what you need to, here's what you need to believe about this subject, about this issue. Hey, if you don't, you're a bigot. If, if you don't, you're hateful. If you don't, if you don't toe the line, if you don't say these things, if you don't believe these things, so just say the right thing. J just support the right thing and everything will be okay. Do, do you see how things just don't change with time? They're the same. It might be different issues, but the pressure was there for Micaiah because this is the king. This king could bring harm to him, could bring death to him, and you will see that it does not work out well for him. But, but he could bring harm to him, and he's basically just saying, look, everything will be okay. You won't lose your head. You won't be in prison. 
You won't be canceled. Your business won't be, you won't suffer. I, I, won't, I won't unfriend you if you'll just say what is favorable to me. I know we've had a hot topic this week, and I know in a mixed congregation, there might be people who believe a wide variety of things. You're more than welcome to go to our Facebook page where I shared a sermon from 2020 where we spoke to the things of life and where we stand and why we are pro-life as a church and why we support those things because it comes from God's Word. And in that message, we also talk about racism and favoritism and all those type things as well. And in that message, as I tell them in 2020, those who were here, many of you were here, um, if we're going to disagree, let's disagree on God's word. We don't disagree on politics. We don't disagree on the media. We don't disagree on all of those things because those things should not influence us, but God's word should influence us. It should direct us. So if we're going to disagree as people, as followers of Jesus, let it be based on the truth of God's word and nothing else, not our emotions, not our feelings. But it was interesting as that ruling was released both on, both on Twitter and through mutual friends on Facebook, how people essentially said this very thing. If you support this, if you're saying this, go ahead and unfriend me. Go ahead and essentially, um, I'm going to disown you. I'm going to cancel you. And if you don't, and I see your post, I'm going to unfriend you. You're dead to me. I mean, I mean some very vile things. So, so this very scenario taking place even this week, look, if you want to be my friend, and if you don't want to be disowned, and if you don't want to be canceled, just say the right thing. Just say what I want to hear. Just say what's favorable to me. And this could be divvied up and divided up over multiple different issues, over multiple different things that we deal with in this world. But some people want to force others into agreeing with them and only saying the things that they're comfortable with or they will mock them. They will disown them. Verse 14, but Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, I will say whatever the Lord says to me. If there is a time in our history as people and as humans that we need to have that kind of resolve, and we need to have that kind of backbone, and we need to have that kind of commitment, it is today. That, that we are not hateful, we, are not con we don't condemn people, we don't judge people, but we do not bend and we do not bow and we do not break according to what is being demanded of us, but we stand on the truth of God's word and we say whatever the Lord says. That's not whatever we feel the Lord says. That's not what comes to us in a dream. That's not what was impressed on us after we ate a large pizza. That's not, it's none of that. It's what God's word says because it is the complete revelation given to us. You don't have to guess what he thinks about certain issues and topics. You don't have to go and, and figure it out. You have to go based on emotions and feelings. You can look to God's word and it tells us very clearly so you can write this down. A true God-honoring leader will always tell you what God said. Once again, not, this, not God told me and God spoke this to me this week. No, this is what God's word says. I can show it to you in scripture. I can show it to you in the truth of his word. It's not emotionalism. It's not manipulation. It is in God's word. 
Ahab tried to pressure Micaiah into speaking the message he wanted him to speak, not the message God had for him. How tragic. Think about that. God has given you truth for your benefit to help you, to guide you, to lead you in his way. How many times do we choose what we want over what God wants for us, and then we face destruction, and then we face despair, and all we had to do was listen to the truth of God's word, and here Ahab would rather have what he wanted rather than what God was saying to him, and God was trying to spare him. God was trying to protect him from destruction. So he goes on in verse 18 to 23, and it says, So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Didn't I tell you he never prophesies good about me? See, I told you. I knew where he was going to land on this. I knew what he was going to say on this. I knew he wasn't going to support me. But only disaster? Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and the whole heavenly army was standing by him at his right hand and at his left hand. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to march up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one was saying this and another was saying that. Then a spirit came forward, stood in the Lord's presence and said, I will entice him. The Lord asked him how. He said, I will go and become a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you will certainly entice him and prevail. Go and do that. You see, the Lord has put a lying spirit into the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has pronounced disaster against you. I want you to write this down because this is very important. This might take some of you a little while this week to really think through and to come to grips with. If God chooses, he'll allow a lying spirit to deceive the wicked. Now, God didn't lie, and he didn't deceive but he said, who will entice? Who, who, will, who will mislead? Who will deceive? And it says, a spirit came to him and said, I will. I'll put a lying spirit in the mouths of these prophets. And this gives a very clear indication and picture to us of just how even though they, they um, use the word Lord, they say the name Jesus, They say things that are enticing that they have a lying spirit, but God allowed it. God allowed them to lie. God allowed them to be deceived. See, God was going to allow Ahab to be deceived because it was through the deception that he would be brought to the place of judgment for his sins and rebellion against God. God allowed it so that they might, he might face the judgment and the punishment. If you continuously rebel against God and live for your own pleasure, God might allow you to be deceived. God might allow you to be drawn to and attracted to those who would have a lying spirit, those who would deceive you and mislead you by bad actors, not for necessarily your destruction, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, but for your discipline and for your hopeful restoration. In fact, there's two places in the New Testament where people were turned over to Satan, where Paul um, allowed, basically, they they were um, removed from the church, church discipline. They were not disowned, but they were essentially just kind of, you're you're no longer members here. We're going to count you as the world, as we see in uh, Matthew chapter 18. 
if someone doesn't come to repentance, if someone doesn't receive um, the counsel from other people and they don't come to repentance for where they're wrong, the Bible says to consider them as lost. And so there's two places, at least in the New Testament, where that took place. And in one of them, there's an indication that that person was restored and brought back into fellowship with the church. So it's like, hey, if you're going to live like the world, and you want to live like the world, and you want to promote the world, and you want to pursue the world, like then, then um, you, you can't be a member of this church. You can attend the church. You can't be a member of the church because you're not living like a Christian. You're not pursuing Christ. You're not following what the Word of God says. And so we're going to count you as a lost person. You can go back into the world and live like the world, but you cannot mock God and say that you belong to the family of God. You're a part of the body of God, and then just go do what you want to do. And so in so doing, it was through that process that at least one of those people were restored back into fellowship. Why? Because we have to know and understand the error of our way. We have to sometimes uh, reap the, the, the consequences of our choices to understand that we need Christ, that we're walking in rebellion, that, that his favor is not on us. And so that happens twice. And the reality is if we do that in our own life, it's not to fear you. It's not to try to scare you. It's just the reality of what it is. The moment you start taking your eyes off of Jesus and the moment you start ignoring truth and looking to the things that appeal to you, you will begin to get misled. I was telling Nikki this, just watching some people online to see where they once were to where they are today and how they have slipped and how they've been led astray and how they listen to the logic of man rather than following Christ with faith and looking to the truth of God's word because I want to be popular. I want to be accepted. I have a business that I want to, people to, to, to come to and to purchase from me. I don't want to lose any of that. And so I, I think I can stray on this issue. I, I think I can bend on this area of truth. And suddenly we're being misled because it appeals to our flesh and we're being inspired rather than being led by the truth. Verse 24 to 28 and I'm going to close real quick. Like I said, I got a lot. I'm trying to squeeze it in. Then the king of Israel ordered, take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, this is what the king says. Put this guy in prison and feed him only a little bread and water until I come back safely. But Micaiah said, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he said, listen, all you people, you can write this down. A true God-honoring leader willingly pays the price for teaching truth. A true God-honoring leader willingly pays the price for teaching the truth. See, if the 400 prophets faced death, um, chances are they wouldn't have stood on the truth. They would have just, and that's why they most likely told the king what he wanted to hear but not only was he being imprisoned, but essentially he was going to be tortured because it says, just feed him a little bread and water until I come back safely. Make it as difficult and as uncomfortable because I hate him. I hate him for not telling me what I want to hear. I hate him for giving me the truth. See, it's not always popular to stand for what is right and what is true. You may be made an outcast. You may face ridicule and be mocked. 
In some places around the world, they are persecuted, they are oppressed, they are imprisoned, even facing death. And yet we're called to stand for truth, to trust God, to walk and to pursue after him no matter the cost. And that is a true leader. A true leader will preach the truth, and if people walk out the doors of the church, so be it. A a, a true leader will teach and proclaim the truth, and if it affects their business, then so be it. A true leader, a true God-honoring leader is willing to pay the price for standing for truth and for following after God. And then I close with this, 2 Peter 2, 4 through 10, because he speaks to this very thing. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral. For as the righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. The final thing you can write down and then we'll close. God will reward the righteous and punish the unrighteous. He will reward the righteous and punish the unrighteous. God didn't take the angels' rebellion in heaven uh, lightly, nor does he take lightly those false teachers who will mislead people, especially his people. But he did not spare the wicked. He did not spare those who rose up against his people, the unrighteous. They will face judgment in eternity. Some of them face judgment here on the earth. He does not promise that you will not lose your life. He does not promise that you will regain your health. He does not promise that you will regain your freedom if you were to be imprisoned in another country. It does not promise that, but it does say he will spare you. And in eternity, in heaven, as we stand before God, undeservingly, he will reward us. And he will make right what was wrong. We can stand for truth and be confident that God will spare our eternal souls. And that and that alone is worth standing for righteousness, standing for what is right. So today, whatever God's speaking to you in this moment, maybe it is um, a commitment to stand for what's right, not to allow yourself to be silent or to choose silence for fear of persecution or ridicule or mocking. Maybe it's to, uh, to be more aware and to be more Um, alert to the teachers that you are um, listening to and that is feeding into you. Maybe it is committing more time to studying God's word so that you know the truth, so that you can detect error. Maybe you don't even know. Maybe you're listening to false teachers. People are inspiring you, but not giving you truth because you don't know truth. And so you can't determine truth from error. Maybe you need to make a commitment today to give more time and study to God's word, whatever it is. As I pray, I encourage you to have that conversation with God. Make those commitments with him today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. 
We thank you that you have given us this truth so that it might guide us and it might benefit us. I thank you for the, the prophets of old who stood and faced imprisonment, faced death, faced ridicule, but they proclaimed the truth, your truth. They, they declared what you wanted them to declare no matter what they faced. I thank you for the example of Micaiah, Lord, as he was facing imprisonment, as he was facing starvation, as he was facing discomfort, he still stood for what was true. I thank you, Father, that your word is true. And so, Lord, may we study it, may we know it, may we apply it to our lives. May we not give ourselves over to just what inspires us and what appeases us and what appeals to our flesh, what we want to hear. But Lord, may we be committed that even when it hurts, even when it convicts, even when it rebukes, that we're going to trust your word. We're going to follow your word. And we're going to do what it says. So Lord, as we close out in this song, may our hearts continue to cry out to you. May our prayers continue. May we, Lord, hear from you as we have heard from your word. And whatever commitment we, we, we need to make, whatever repentance we need to make, whatever it is we need to do to walk in complete obedience with you, may we do that beginning today. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us and wanting the best for us. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.